Welcome to Integrative Medicine Solutions with Forum Health, the podcast. Our nationwide network of integrative and functional medicine providers believe in a new standard of healthcare, one that creates optimal health by focusing on partnering with you, understanding your needs, learning about your unique health history, and getting to the root cause of your concerns. Using advanced testing, emerging therapies, and the latest technology, Forum Health providers are at the forefront of integrative and functional health care for all. Your journey to better health starts here. Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for a very special masterclass that answers the question, surviving to thriving, opportunities for creating lasting health in your everyday routine. My name is Britt with Forum Health the first nationwide network of integrative and functional medicine providers of which Texas Integrative Medicine is a part of. For those of you not familiar, Forum Health goes beyond traditional healthcare by combining functional and integrative medicine with advanced treatments and technology, data analytics, and a collaborative relationships to offer our patients personalized and transformative results. Our patients have exclusive access to breakthrough treatments, results-driven wellness programs, health content, and a team of experts to partner with you on your journey to a healthy and vibrant life. To learn more, visit us at forumhealth.com. Okay, let's get started. Our speaker tonight is Dr. Hannah Hamlin of Texas Integrative Medicine in Austin, Texas. Dr. Hamlin is a functional medicine physician who graduated from William Carey University College of Osteopathic Medicine after obtaining her bachelor's in nutritional sciences from Texas A&M University. She has completed coursework through the Institute of Functional Medicine and continues her education in health optimization as a dedicated lifelong learner. She has experience in gut health and a special interest in autoimmune disorders. Welcome, Hannah. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. Yes. Well, thank you so much for joining us. You know, this is, um, I think, a really critical topic. You know, the last two years, as we all know, have been very challenging for everyone. And now is really a time to go from a state of just simply surviving and trying to cope to actually thriving mentally and physically. So this is a really exciting topic. Uh, so I first wanted to ask you, just to start off, um, can you explain to us what exactly is health optimization and what does that encompass? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think a fun one, you know, I think health optimization, when we, when we think about a gradient of health and disease um, within, within our own bodies, there's kind of this, this line at which we diagnose disease in medicine, and we've got all kinds of curriculum and algorithms that we use to really define where that is. Um, but on the other end of that spectrum is really the true line of health. Um, and what we see is, is that that's the, the feeling good, that waking up when you're not tired, the ability to go out and do what you want to do in the world without things like fatigue or symptoms holding you back. And kind of on this gradient, the idea for all of our patients is to walk in the direction of health. But really health optimization is this idea of how can I feel the best in my own personal body? And I love that as functional medicine and integrative medicine physicians, what we do is we really individualize our care towards people who want an individualized approach in walking this direction towards health. So it's not just about trying to define and kind of prevent disease or, or or keep people past this disease line, it's really about walking towards health as a whole. Right, which is so great. I'm glad you said that about waking up in the morning and not feeling tired, not feeling sluggish or having a headache. I think most of us just kind of accept those 
symptoms. And really, we shouldn't really even be feeling that. We should be energized and ready to go um, in a really, truly healthy state. Yeah, ultimately. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's that's great to know. I think we all just kind of, um, you know, move through life in that way without realizing it. Um, so, you know, as a functional medicine doctor, how do you go about health helping patients achieve health optimization? Yeah, well, personally, you know, I really start with what the patient's goals are because the way that I see the care um, when I collaborate with a patient is it's a teamwork approach. And the idea is that we we look at the, the patient's health goals or the goals they have for their life in general, and we look at kind of where their body is, meet them where they are. And then um, I use kind of the interpretation of the medical literature and clinical experience to be able to guide recommendations in that direction. Typically, it's a whole person approach, though. So when I sit down with a new patient, I'm not usually just talking about how where their symptoms are when they started. I'm really wanting to know kind of what their quality of life looks like. How long have they felt healthy? When did they feel the best in their life? Was there anything that triggered it um, or triggered kind of a decline or an improvement in their health and their history, even going back to childhood, further kind of back into family history as well? And so it really is kind of looking at the whole person, you know, emotions, mentality, things like that that are that are included because those really truly impact our health um, just as much as, as other things in our environment. Absolutely. Yeah, everything's connected, which we, we kind of lose sight of sometimes. Yeah. Um, you know, talking about health and, and really looking at the whole person, you know, a big part of our lives um, is food and eating. Um, and I think there's so much information out there on what quality food looks like, what a balanced meal looks like. Um, so that's a big question I have for you is, what should we be eating? What's quality food? And what is a really truly balanced meal? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think I love, Britt, that you said quality, because really that that's the most important piece. And I think um, in media, we've really we've focused a lot lately over the last couple of decades on calories and macronutrients, which would be the quantity section. Often a lot of us, when we go grocery shopping, we'll look at the back of the box and, and look at the nutrition facts where it, it has the quantity piece. But really what's more important is the quality of food, like you're, you're mentioning. And the quality is really derived from the ingredients. And so when we're we're looking at food labels if we are eating packaged food it's really looking at it the the ingredients at the bottom and, and seeing what's put in the food that makes the biggest difference but kind of on a broad scheme what what type of meals would be best and really you know it's a fascinating answer because there are a lot of different types of ways of eating out there that focus on food quality alone that can look very different mm. what we know from kind of the big nutrition data that we have is that there's not one diet that's best for all people. And when we look at the environments around the world, and we know that we all have ancestors from different areas in the world, it makes sense that we may have kind of gone through our, our genes, you know, being able to, to optimally live and create energy based on different food environments. People with ancestors from Alaska may have a different optimal diet than people with ancestors from Kenya. And that's very intuitive when we think about it. And so um, when we, when we, try different kind of diets or things online that are, are proponents for everyone. Sometimes they can be a good fit for some people and, and absolutely transformative, but sometimes they're, they're just not the right direction. And so really when I look at food, well, once we've established food quality and we're eating full whole foods that are minimally processed, that don't have a lot of additive chemicals, then really the next step there is to look at the patient, look at their current energy levels, their current body weight, you know, where their uh, routine is as far as movement. And then also look at some blood levels that could take a look at maybe 
giving us a direction of what type of food quality would be best. And so, you know, it's easy to say, start with vegetables. For most people, they do well with that seven to 10 serving that's the vegetables, but the carbohydrate content and the types of fats may differ depending on kind of what a patient is presenting with and, and where they're starting. Right. That makes sense. Cause it is confusing. A lot of times you don't know what to eat and you may be eating, you know, quality protein or vegetables, but it's not agreeing with your body. So um, if somebody were to come to Texas integrative medicine, you would be able to help them to really assess um, how they can eat in the right way for their bodies. Is that, is that kind of correct? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's kind okay. of what I, that's what I do all day. I love that part. And the nutrition is really close to my heart, but absolutely. Typically with new patients, if they don't have recent labs, we'll, we'll do some blood work together and kind of right. identify markers that will give us a, a direction um, so that the recommendations that we make are really individualized. That's wonderful. And I think that's something that uh, gives people a lot of hope if they're able to achieve their health goals through nutrition. Um, I know another big component of eating is, of course, exercise and movement, um, which not everybody wants to do all the time, but it's so critical. Tell us, why is movement exercise so critical and important in our daily lives? Yeah, absolutely. You know, movement is in many, many large studies established to be uh, a proponent of longevity and also a preventative piece of chronic health. And what we know is it's not just about exercise as in going to the gym, but it's also just about not being sedentary and sitting down kind of at a desk for hours and hours on end, which many of us do, especially now kind of with a a bigger work from home culture that we had before. And really, you know, movement not only helps um, us to prevent disease in the future, it helps us typically to feel better in our day to day. Mm -hmm. We know that people who have kind of routine movement where they have exercise or different things built into their weekly schedule, they typically have improved cognition, um, better quality of life. And so there's reasons to kind of do that in the day-to-day that aren't just kind of these these future benefits that we can all perceive. Um, So that's kind of my my two cents on movement is that it's crucial. And, And I often have people kind of tell me that movement is really hard for them. Sometimes it's for scheduling reasons. Sometimes it's because they're so tired that when they move um, and and they go work out or they go to the gym, they just don't feel after, don't feel well after, and they're almost more exhausted. And so, you know, I think if, if, if there are symptoms of fatigue that are making movement difficult or exercise difficult, that's a, that's a pretty good sign that it would be good to visit with a physician because really our our bodies are designed to move a lot. And so um, if we're not, or we're having trouble with it, then that can be kind of our, our body letting us know there might be something going on. Right. That's, that's a really good point and a really great tip for people. Um, Do you have any easy ways that people can stay active, especially if they hate to exercise? Um, Are there any simple things that people can do? Yeah, absolutely. So when we look at the the big kind of data, we've studied this um, many times kind of throughout the United States and all over the world. But what we know is that for people who don't like to exercise, that typically finding a group of people to exercise with a kind of an accountability group, whether that's a group class at the YMCA, or it's a friend at lunch um, in your office that you guys walk the track on your lunch break. It's really about the people that you set it up with. Um, and that's that's kind of what the data shows us. And what I found clinically or, or with my patients is that often it's also about making it a part of the schedule and scheduling exercise during the week, just like we would schedule maybe 
going to the grocery store, picking up our kids, you know, having it on the calendar is, is huge because it is easy to get, um, get busy during the, the week, giving to other people and forget to make that time for self-care and really movement is yeah. one of the biggest components of self-care. Yes. That's such a great point. I really like that. It is, that is self-care. And so is eating well, nurturing your body, nurturing your mind, um, is a form of self-care. So that's a great point. Um, now, on the opposite side, for people who love to exercise, is there such a thing as maybe too much exercise and movement? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, yeah. all things in medicine come with a, a, an end kind of on either side of the range. And you <laughs> right. know, there is, there is an amount of exercise that can increase risk of heart disease and, and also increase risk of overall kind of mortality. And really, it, it makes sense that, that when we are, are to finding a movement routine for ourselves that we're really trying to feel good with it. And typically the amount of exercise that could be concerning for someone, um, their body would be kind of giving them red flags and clues along the way. And so um, I don't usually, you know, we don't really run into patients that are over exercising often, but it is seen very much in kind of the um, endurance community. And, and what that is, is that if you are going to do exercise that is intensive or taking many, many hours at a time, it can be helpful to just have a physician to follow along with you to, to keep track on things and help you determine really where your personal upper limit is, because that is something that again is individualized. Right. And of course you want to avoid injury or, you know, exhaustion or anything like that. So that's great for those of you out there who love to exercise. Um, just know that information. Um, you know, next I want to talk about community, and I'm so glad you mentioned you know finding a group to walk with or a group to exercise with because community is really critical in our daily lives. Um, why why does this matter so much? Yeah, you know, community, we, I think um, as healthcare providers or as even kind of friend groups, sometimes we forget the importance of discussing this as a health habit, is having supportive relationships in our life. And one of my favorite groups of studies that, that really brought this to light for me and, and for a lot of other scientists is this idea of the blue zone studies, which are these really cool studies where we looked at different areas of the world and found about six or seven places where people live the longest and they live healthy until the end of their life. And these were people that were living into their hundreds. And so we found these communities that had a lot of, a lot of people that were living this way and we studied them. We had all these theories about maybe, you know, what would be kind of the biggest proponent that they would all have in common that would cause them to live so long and be so healthy. And so a lot of us thought, well, maybe it's the food, you know, it's got to be the nutrition, or maybe it's got to be how much they're exercising, or, right. you know, maybe it has to be that they meditate a lot. We had all these kind of theories and really what came out of these studies is that the, the greatest proponent of health between these communities was a strong sense of community, a sense of well-being, a sense of being supported and having others to support. And, and that was really the biggest player. And so we can talk about nutrition and exercise all day, but you know, really the community is, is so crucial for longevity and quality of life in our day to day. And, and I think this is just a fascinating time to really bring these studies to light because as we're coming out of COVID and we're coming out of quarantine, a lot of us have lost touch with our sense of community, whether that means a couple of years ago, you canceled your gym membership when it made sense to, or your gym closed, or you haven't been back to your church group in a while, or there are different things that you used to do to have those kind of staples during the week where you met with other people and caught up. And it's really time to lean into those again. You know, that's really important. And um, mm. I think a lot of us have been missing that, uh, but it's easy as we've created new patterns to forget how important that used to be to us. 
Absolutely. And I'm so glad you brought this up as a tenant of health because uh, it is critical. I mean, you can eat all the good food you want, but at the end of the day, we have to have those connections with others. Um, do you have any tips for our audience on how you can stay connected to others in a healthy way? Yeah, well, you know, just I I've always recommend kind of following your local community's COVID guidelines, but a lot of those are changing right. in here in Austin. We're getting to a place where um, actually, I believe it was just yesterday, we had our first um, our first day without any COVID admissions in the city oh, wow. since COVID started. So that's a big thing to celebrate. And it, yes. it tells us that it's getting so much safer to go out and be among people. Yes. Um, I think, you know, really, as far as tips for community, a good way to form community, if, if you don't already have an established group, um, is, is really group exercise can be a great one. Um, community centers like churches can also be a great one, but also kind of within, within Austin specifically, just locally, there are so many groups created for like-minded individuals to get together and, and support each other. And so meetup.com is one that is just thriving here in Austin. Um, and that's something that, that is across the country, but here specifically, it's very active. But I think yeah. finding groups of people that you can touch base with on a routine kind of schedule can be really helpful. And so I recommend trying to kind of establish that uh, as a routine. Yes, no, absolutely. They're all wonderful, wonderful tips. And it really makes you just hearing all this information really makes you rethink your own life and maybe where there's deficits or where you can improve upon things. Um, you know, the, the next thing I want to bring up um, is environment. You know, there's so many pollutants and toxins in our environment, our drinking water, our food, and our air. Um, so just for our audience who maybe isn't aware of this, what are some common toxins that most of us encounter on a regular daily basis? This is a great, a great question too. And, you know, I have this conversation with my patients daily almost because we, we typically find something that's impacting them that, that may be caused by a toxic burden. And, and really, yeah. you know, what we, what we find from our environment is that our environment has just rapidly changed over the last 50 years, even within the last 10. But really when we look at studies from about 50 years ago, we have so many more air pollutants, um, soil pollutants, um, indoor air quality, not just outdoor air quality, and also things in our water. And, and we do, you know, we do a good kind of baseline um, water filtration system where we're not as worried about things like bacteria like we used to be. That's still sometimes on the radar, but it's really kind of the pollutants and toxins that, that really more fall into the um, pharmaceuticals sometimes can be found in our water, um, herbicides and pesticides that are runoff from, from agriculture and farming crops, um, and even heavy metals. And so really when we look at how what, ex, what kind of toxins are we exposed to on the environment, they're really everywhere. And that can sound scary, and that's not the idea. The idea is just to be aware of them and know that as, as our environment changes to having more toxins to expose ourselves to, it's important that we're considerate of also how our body is able to get rid of those toxins. And, and, you know, it's also kind of another layer that's fascinating on top of this is as we are using more herbicides and pesticides and conventional kind of agriculture, we're also having less and less um, nutrients, vitamins, and minerals in our soil. Right. And what is so fascinating is that our vitamins and minerals are really the key kind of players and how our body creates the kind of the detoxification loops that create enzymes to help us get rid of toxins. So it's almost becoming more difficult for us to get rid of toxins and we're getting more toxins. And that can create a disconnect that can make some people sick. 
Now, the majority of people do quite well kind of with toxins, but there are some great tips to help just reduce toxins from our, our bodies in general. And what I typically kind of tell my patients is to start where it makes the most sense. I do recommend that people use a water filter in their home as opposed to drinking tap water. Mm -hmm. And even what we know is the plastic water bottles that we can buy from the grocery store often have bisphenol A on them. And that's linked to many diseases. And so really kind of the best way to do it is to get a water filter that you can either attach to your sink and put or put in your refrigerator. Um, one that will kind of uh, take out the majority of the toxins that can be in a, in a local water supply. Yeah. Um, so that's one way. Another great way yeah. is kind of that those are, that's a toxin in prevention way. The other yeah. kind of toxin out benefit way would be sauna use. Now that's mm. something that is wildly available in Austin. Since I've gotten here, I'm just so impressed with the amount of places that offer sauna and it's really oh, exciting. Great. We've got good, good data on sauna and longevity. And in the theory behind that is that it can help us remove toxins. We know that we remove toxins from our sweat. That's one of our body's major ways of doing it as well as stool and urine. Right. Um, but really sweating is, is so consistent with optimal health. And, and we have big studies on people who have done sauna use about four times a week. Um, mm -hmm. and, and we see that even they have cardiovascular benefit, which means they have a less likely chance of getting heart disease later in life, which is really exciting because it's such a simple, fun thing to do that feels good. Yes. Um, so that's something that I don't recommend for everyone. It's I think if, if you're new to sauna and you have some pre-exposed conditions, it would be important to check with a health provider to make sure you're a good candidate. For the, but for the average healthy person, it's absolutely something that can be incorporated into a routine and just be kind of toxic conscious. Absolutely. Is there any way, is, do you offer any type of um, detox, uh, like an actual supplement or... Um any type of program where people can actually detox from some of these toxins? Or do you have ways of testing toxin levels um, at your clinic? Yeah, you know, it's, it, it really depends. As far as testing, I'll kind of start there. It, it can depend on the severity of the symptom presentation of okay. the patient or the severity of the exposure. Um, often when I have patients coming in who um, have known exposure of toxins, perhaps um, if you kind of think of the classic Flint, Michigan example that was brought mm. to light many years ago with the lead in right. the water supply, that absolutely warrants testing immediately. The other op uh, classic kind of thing I see is people who uh, were part of the military and they were exposed those to known toxins over overseas and, and they're aware of those exposures. That makes sense to start with testing. Um, but often we can also look at symptoms. It, it doesn't just have to be kind of the exposure piece. And there are some symptoms that may clue us towards toxins more than others. Typically when I start with kind of thinking about maybe toxins being the root cause of someone's symptoms, the first thing I, I also look at is their nutrient um, deficiency or insufficiency. Is it that they have a lot of toxins on board perhaps because they're not able to get rid of them and if so, let's start there so the body can naturally detoxify. There are lots of different ways of doing that that are, again, very individualized to the person and perhaps what, what nutrients they may be lower in. Um, and then for detoxification in general, if there is a patient with, with very high levels of certain toxins, then we would go with kind of the, the, the evidence-based algorithm for removing that toxin. 
Okay. In general, um, a, a general way to help our body mobilize toxins is supplementing a certain group of, of supplements called either N-acetylcysteine, alpha-lipoic acid, or glutathione. And mm. these three supplements are all kind of either precursors or glutathione being our body's main antioxidant. We know that if we have more toxins, the antioxidant glutathione is the one that helps us kind of fully process them so that they can be eliminated. And that's okay. one that's when low, when it is low, it can be difficult to, to kind of live in, in our current environment. And so that's typically if someone wants to optimize detoxification, that's what we recommend starting with. Okay. Um, that's great. It makes it seem less scary because when you're first describing all the toxins around us, you think, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? But um, there is help out there for anybody who feels the same way. And yeah. that's great information because of course, you know, I know toxins can make you have brain fog or have fatigue or a host of other symptoms. So it's nice to know that there are ways to um, detox in a healthy way. We're actually seeing results. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I don't think it has to be scary at all. I think yeah. it's good okay. to know that it's there, that it can be a piece of a root cause, but really, you know, a lot of us are able to thrive in the environment that we live in right. and it's just really finding out your personal sensitivity and it can be different for people based on genetics or the nutrient right. piece. But really once you figure out what works for you, establishing a healthy baseline in this world is absolutely possible. And so it doesn't have to be scary. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's something really just be more mindful of and be yeah. aware of and what we're mm -hmm. consuming. That makes sense. Um, well, I know we've hit a lot of topics tonight, a lot of tenants of health, and I do have one last topic I want to hit, uh, which is our mindset and our mental health, which of course has taken a huge hit in the last two years. Uh, it's something that is epidemic people are struggling with. So how do our emotions, our outlook on life, the way we see the world affect our physiology and our physical health? You know, this is one of my favorite topics. And in the answer to that is so many ways, um, not only well-documented ways, also ways that we're, we're just starting to discover. And there's new evidence, you know, being published last year and this year about, but what we know for sure is that when we are in a state of stress or emotional discomfort, our nervous system picks that up. I mean, we feel it typically, that's how we feel it. But as part of that process within our body, we release additional stress hormones. Some that you guys may have heard of, Cortisol is one that's well talked about now, norepinephrine and epinephrine even. And when we increase those hormones for a long period of time, because we're stressed out for chronically or for a longer time, then what can happen is our body can get into this place of kind of fire flight and stay there often. Now, when cortisol is higher, we know that that can increase things like insulin resistance, which can lead to type two diabetes. It can cause all kind of physical kind of distress. But what we also know is that cortisol being higher can even decrease our immune system a little bit. And that part's concerning. You know that what, what we can do to improve that is abundant in the amount of different lifestyle interventions or things that we, we really have a lot of control over turning off of our stress. And, and I never, I never want my patients to blame themselves for stress levels or emotional discomfort. It's absolutely part of being human. Those things happen to us, but what's so empowering is that we have control. There are things that we can learn, learnable skills in order to help handle and perceive stress differently so that it doesn't affect our bodies as much. Right. But one of the things that I think is so crucial in medicine that 
I like to talk to my patients about, and I, I think could have room to have more light in the future is this idea of self-love, you know, is that if we, if we truly love ourselves, then it's a lot more intuitive to do the things to take care of ourselves, like the exercise and eating well that we were talking about earlier on. But, you know, really, if, if we're struggling with self-love, it can manifest throughout our body from stress. Um, and it can also just make it difficult for us to find the time or the need or the importance to take care of ourselves. And so I really try to bring self-love as part of the conversation with my patients, because if, if that piece is, is a, a piece of you that you're challenged with, or you have room to grow in, then absolutely. That's part of, part of the plan as we move forward in healing. And so, um, I think mindset is, is something that I have to check in with myself about often. You know, I think it's easy to kind of wake up on the wrong side of the bed those days and spiral a little bit. I think that's part yeah. of being human and it's not about being perfect. It's just absolutely about finding a gradient of, of feeling good and having a really healthy self-talk that can be a, a good, a good piece to start with. Um, yes. They're wonderful tips because it is a really crazy world and there's a lot on the news and there's a lot to take in, in our, just in our personal lives. So I love the tip of self-love because it really does keep you grounded and focused on being the healthiest that you can be without being perfect. So I think okay. that's a really beautiful tip. I love that. You don't hear many, uh, many doctors talking about that, uh, but I think that's really beautiful and wonderful. Um, Dr. Hamlin, thank you so much. This was wonderful, wonderful discussion, really a reset. I know for myself personally, it makes you really think about a lot of things and take things into consideration um, for living your best life and really appreciate you talking to us today. Um, now, I'd love to open up the class to questions from our audience. Um, I know we discussed a lot tonight. There are a lot of interesting topics, so please fire away. Uh, Dr. Hamlin is here to answer, um, you know, whatever comes up. So let's take a look. Okay, I have one that just came in. This is a really good one. If you can only commit to focusing on changing one or two of the areas that we mentioned tonight, which do you think would have the most impact in your opinion? Oh, you know, uh, well, I think Good out question. of the ones we mentioned tonight, without a doubt, self-love, I think, and, and that mindset piece is, is huge because if you can flip that to the direction of feeling positive or feeling, um, taking the pressure off of ourselves, you know, off of yourself, yeah. then right. everything kind of echoes out in a much easier way. So I would say mindset. Um, if I had to pick another one, I would say sleep, which we actually didn't talk about tonight. Oh, right. I forgot about sleep. Are, if we're not sleeping enough, it makes all of life harder. And I, I really, I really start with sleep because everything can get easier after you are well rested. I agree with that. If I don't get at least like seven hours, I'm no good. <laughs> I'm no good at during the day. Um, so that's great. Yeah. Self-love. That's an important one. Let's see. Uh, another one just came in. What is the, the easiest tip to improve your overall health right now? That's a little tough. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I think kind of pulling together some of the things we talked about tonight. One thing that I absolutely, I do myself, I'm a proponent of for my patients is finding a little bit of time each day to center yourself. And for a lot of people that can look different. And um, the way that I do it is through meditation. And, and that's something that a lot of people are now learning about their apps for. Some people like to do it through prayer, or through religion. Other people like to practice breath work, um, kind of a relaxation response breath work during that time. But I really recommend, you know, if there was one simple thing, it would be setting a timer for five minutes each day and prioritizing that. What we yeah. see is that with meditation specifically, there's huge improvement 
treatments and that cortisol level that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and it can absolutely be something that when done as a routine can improve quality of life. And again, we have studies to show that it improves people's sense of well-being. Definitely. And like you mentioned before, I mean, there's so many meetup groups um, that meet to meditate together in a group setting, whether it's virtual or in person. Um, there's so many free videos out there on YouTube. So it, it's easy. It's easy to access uh, meditation if that's something that you want to do. But that's a great tip. Um, another one just came in, which is um, which is very interesting. Dr. Hamlin, how did you get into this line of work? Um, well, I was a patient. That's really how it all started. When I was um, a teenager, I was 13 years old, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, which is an autoimmune disease. And so my blood sugars were really elevated at that time. And we learned that I didn't have any um, insulin, which is a hormone that can kind of bring blood sugar down. And so since then, I've been supplementing the hormone insulin as part of kind of how we treat the disease um, conventionally. And so with that, I just grew up in the doctor's office a lot. Um, um, and, and I felt okay. You know, I was doing well. I had kind of crossed that disease line where I wasn't sick all the time, but I didn't feel great. And so mm -hmm. in college, I, I just really started struggling with fatigue and I had um, a recurrent Epstein-Barr virus a couple of times mm -hmm. and needed help with, with my own body. And so I studied nutrition. I found a functional medicine physician who, who really kind of brought me back to life. And that was when I decided to go to medical school was when I had um, really just seen the difference that it made for me my quality of life and I wanted to get back in that way. That's wonderful. It's, it's nice to know that you are coming from a patient's perspective. I think that's always important, especially when you're going to see a physician for the first time, understanding what a patient goes through, the fears that they have, the challenges. Of course, it's different for every person, but um, I appreciate you sharing that with us because I think that makes you very unique as a provider. In a lot well, of ways. thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, yeah, I think um, I, I think I've, at this point I've been a patient longer than I've been a physician, and I remember being scared right. to go to the doctor yeah. or letting the doctor's words really sit heavy on my heart until the next appointment, and, and being, yeah. you know, feeling unheard. All of those things I remember that patient perspective, and so I really tried to when I created my practice here to kind of set things up differently so that I could really create a space where patients felt like they were part of the team and they had a space to express their desires. Absolutely. Which is so critical to healing. So critical. And I that you don't that. always get with conventional medicine. You don't even get the time, you know, to, to say what's really wrong with you. So um, yeah, that's, that's really beautiful. Um, any other questions for Dr. Hammond? We'll probably just take a few more minutes. Uh, let's see. One just popped up. This is a great question and something I think of all the time with regards to nutrition. Do you have any tips for eating out or eating at a party slash social gathering? You know, I think that um, when it comes to overall health for most of us, you know, if we're able to eat 85, 90% of the time in a, a really tailored diet that works well for us, that keeps us healthy, that meets our nutrient needs, then yeah. eating at social events, you know, maybe once a week, maybe once every couple of weeks or at restaurants again, once a week or once every couple of weeks. I think that, that, that those are times where it can be safe to use that kind of 10% of treat food. And, and I know that there's this big culture of calling it cheat food, but I think that that can be guilt producing. And so I like to call it a treat food where you're rewarding right. yourself. Um, you know, but really when we are eating out or we're at social gatherings, 
we know that sugar and processed grains are things that can be um, hyper, what we call hyper palatable, which just means make us want to eat more of them. And so what I recommend is if you're going somewhere where you know there'll be lots of sugar and processed grains to either eat a small salad or something healthy before so that you're not kind of filling yourself with those kind of fast processed foods. Or if you're going to a restaurant in that case, just trying to maybe do exchanges of the sides. That's something that most most restaurants are very open to is that idea of, can I exchange the fries maybe for a side salad? And just being conscious about things that you're choosing can really lead you to not only kind of um, getting healthier foods while you're out, but also prevent you from kind of falling off where that next morning, right. if you ate the fries, you wake up craving a donut, you know, and, and I feel like a right. lot of people have gone through that. It's kind of when we, when we start with the, the fast food or the processed and sugary food, it can make us want to eat more of it. And then, then we're a week off and then a month off. And so really, if you're able to just kind of make those conscious decisions, it can be not hugely taxing, not where you're not able to splurge or eat foods that you love, but just right. also kind of help you stay at a place where you continue to feel good. I think that's true. And, you know, once you start to feel better and you, you have more energy and you feel more alive, you don't really want to go back to those foods that made you feel sick and run down, you know, you don't crave sugar as much or, or, um, you know, flowers and like those processed grains. So it's kind of a a snowball effect in in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, um, I don't see any more questions coming through. Um, so we'll probably wrap it up this evening. Um, but thank you so much, Dr. Hamlin. This was wonderful. I know I personally learned a lot. Um, so thank you for your expertise and your time on all of these different topics. It's an honor. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, we, we appreciate it too. And please, in the meantime, for everybody listening tonight, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We have tons of great health content on all of our social channels, um, which are really interesting and engaging. So please connect with us there. And uh, thank you everyone for joining us and have a wonderful evening. Thank you so much, Dr. Hamlin. Bye. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Forum Health Podcast. Forum Health is the first nationwide network of integrative and functional medicine providers. To learn more about this topic and to find a Forum Health provider near you, visit forumhealth.com.